Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Faith, the final frontier. These are the voyages of a man named Abraham. His calling and mission to go to a strange new world, to seek out a new life and his own civilization, to boldly do what God had prepared him for. Yeah, I like Star Trek. Call me a nerd if you want. But the similarities between Star Trek and Abraham's trek are many. A mission, uncertainties, new horizons, exploration, missteps, and mishaps. But one big difference, I suppose, is that Star Trek is a made-up futuristic television show while the story of Abraham is a historical account from the past. Another big difference is that the premise of Star Trek is faith in human innovation, ingenuity, and intellect. Through human resolve, anything can be accomplished. I suppose there's some truth in that. I mean, we can't just sit around and expect things to get done. Roads don't build themselves, neither do buildings, organizations, businesses, or churches. There is most definitely a human component. The ideas of making contact with other civilizations and understanding the universe are both noble and good. And certainly, humans are capable of such things. But Abraham had something that Captains Kirk and Picard did not. He had faith in an almighty God. A God who made promises to him. A God who stayed with him. A God who made sure that Abraham saw and carried on God's mission and not his own. Yet we don't have to go with Star Trek to make our point. For the same human pretensions are found actually right in the chapter preceding our Old Testament reading this morning. In Genesis chapter 11, we have the Tower of Babel. Remember that story? Their reasons for doing what they did were not wrong. In fact, they too were noble and good. They wanted to be known for something and to build a strong community. I think this is the, the goal of every productive town. Whether they are known for monuments, museums, art, culture, sports, music, or a Red Fern Festival. Every town wants a strong community and a cause for that community to take pride in and to celebrate. And there's nothing wrong with that. The people of Babel, however, did what they did by excluding the commands and promises of God. They decided that they knew better. And that is where they fell flat. God had commanded them, had told them to be fruitful and multiply and to fill the earth. They said, no. They, in defiance, decided they were going to build their community by building a tower into the heavens. God said, fill creation. They said, no. Defiance was their sin and their downfall. Abraham, however, is just the opposite. Abraham lived in a civilization with an advanced culture. The city of Ur had a name for themselves and culture. And even had their own tower 
a ziggurat, step pyramid, where they could sacrifice to their idols. Abraham also was an idolater. And when God tells him to leave, what does Abraham do? He does what God commanded. He leaves. He packs up, takes his wife and nephew, and leaves on that mission to seek out a new life and a new civilization. Abraham does what the people of Babel were unwilling to do. Disperse. Trust God. If you know Abraham's life, then you know he was not a great guy. Our reading today makes him look as if he was the epitome of godliness. And in some ways, in this account, he is. Absolutely. But the rest of his life, the rest of his story, tells us something different. It tells us that he was, in fact, very much like the rest of us. And when he messed up, well, Abraham usually went all out. (laughs) He consistently fell flat on his face, both because of his failures, but then also in worship because of his faith. And that is the key to understanding Abraham. He was not a pillar of how to do things right. In fact, he was probably the opposite. (laughs) But he is a pillar of how God forgives our stupidity, rebellion, and our lack of trust in him. Actually, I suppose that that really is the key to understanding the Bible, isn't it? It isn't about the people and the stories. It is about the God who works in, through, around, and in spite of those people. Nicodemus from our gospel reading fits in here. Nicodemus is a Pharisee, a teacher of the law. And he comes to Jesus at night under the cover of darkness. St. John likes to use light and dark in his gospel and in his letters in the New Testament. There's a theory that the fact of Nicodemus coming at night isn't just about the time of day, but also about his spiritual condition, darkness. And that kind of plays out in this story, doesn't it? Just like Abraham the idolater, Nicodemus has his own gods to contend with. The Jews, especially the Pharisees, believe they had a special in with God and with eternity. God had selected them, therefore, that was the end of it. They were children of Abraham. Yet that same Abraham, the idolater, the liar, the adulterer, well, you get the point, was not that great a guy. Yet they were sons of Abraham. They were proof that God was faithful to that man so many years ago who God had promised to turn into a mighty nation. And there they were. Nicodemus was a part of that nation. A civilization full of his offspring. But nope, Nicodemus was in the dark. Literally and figuratively. He proves that he doesn't understand Jesus, doesn't understand Jesus' mission, and doesn't understand Jesus' teaching. 
His denseness causes him to look the fool. And we laugh at him in this story. I kind of think John intended for us to laugh at him. Because we know the story and Nicodemus doesn't. We on the outside looking in, we know who Jesus is. John has already told us in chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word became man and dwelt among us. We know who Jesus, Nicodemus is just finding out, and it's kind of funny. Nicodemus struggles. Nicodemus asks, how can, I be how can a person be born again, Jesus? Do you not understand biology? Jesus says, no, Nicodemus. That's not what I'm talking about. And then he goes on to explain to him that Jesus will be lifted up on up high, just like that serpent in the wilderness with Moses, to which the people looked and were saved. Jesus tells Nicodemus, I'm going to do that. And by the end of John's Gospel, Nicodemus seems to get it. He figures it out. This fool, this joker, this butt of the joke apparently continues to follow Jesus. And when Jesus' lifeless body sags on the cross, it is Nicodemus, the Pharisee, who asks for Jesus' body and hastily stashes it in his own brand new tomb. Not a small act, but certainly one of honor. One of respect. One that shows how much Nicodemus truly loved Jesus. And evidence that perhaps he had, in fact, finally been born again. Nicodemus surely learned that it is Jesus who saves. Not our works as a religious teacher. Not our birthright as lifelong Lutheran Christians. Not our trust in Abraham or Luther, but instead is it our trust in God who sent His Son that the whole world might be saved. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. St. Paul reminds us of this in, in our epistle reading. He says, What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. That's right. It all comes down to one simple five-letter word. A gift from God to you. It is faith. Faith. Faith which God gives so that you may trust in Him and His Son. It is given to you by the Holy Spirit, by His Word in the blessed depths of holy baptism. It is there that you are truly born again. It is there that your faith, your belief is credited to you as righteousness. A gift given, added to your account, canceling your debt. 
For that is exactly what God does. He gives and He keeps His promises. He did it for Abraham. He did it for Nicodemus. He does it for you. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Amen. And to the one who does not work but believes in Him who justifies the ungodly, His faith is counted as righteousness. Amen.